Julian, it's really great to have you on. Um, just a brief introduction about Julian. Um, Julian is the co-founder and CEO at Wistolia and learning uh, co-pilot that turns any study material into interactive, personalized, and fun learning experience. Um, and Julia is also a host of Eventing the Future podcast that highlights the stories and minds of visionary tech entrepreneurs that are solving the world's biggest problems. And previously, Julia was the co-founder and CTO at Vise and also a software engineer uh, at Meta. Um, and Julia, I met you um, on Twitter, actually. I, I saw you were doing the podcast and I was you know, very interested because you know, the format is pretty similar. We want to explore uh, under other entrepreneurs that are similar like, like ours. And uh, it's pretty cool that I was able to meet you in person. Um, and what's really fascinated, um, fascinating about you is your uh, journey of exploring the infinite potential of every single one of us. So yeah, I'm oh, yeah. really uh, glad to have you on, man. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I'm happy to chat. Hey, just want to jump in here. I apologize that the beginning of the conversation might seem a little abrupt. There was an unexpected fire alarm that went off in the beginning of our conversation. Uh, but just a little bit of context. Um, our chat started with me asking Julian about his writing journey, why he writes, and what does he write about. Let's go back to the show. What do you write about mostly? Is there a direction or just what's on your mind? Yeah, it's um, most of the time it's what's on my mind and most of the time that's the startup. But uh, something I've been organizing over time um, and I'm still this is still a work in progress. But basically, there's this concept of your 12 favorite problems. It's basically like what are the problems that you find most interesting and valuable and pertinent to you in your life right now, whether it's in your startup and your work or your personal life and turn them into questions. This is like a concept that comes from Richard Feynman. But the idea is just mm. to like have a list of questions of things you're trying to figure out right now. Like this one, you, you can tell that this is on my mind. How do I become more of a mindful creator and less of a mindless consumer? Mm. Pretty, pretty important question to be thinking about right now. Uh, what's the best way to prioritize my time? How do I want, who do I want to become and what are the things I want to achieve, create and, and give? That's more of like a high level purpose sort of question. And there's subset level questions to this. How to become a clear and deeper thinker? How can I use my thinking time most efficiently and effectively, et cetera, and whatnot, right? So, um, right, or thinking like more of like the industry that I'm playing in, like how will a AI impact learning and education? So these are just things that I'm curious about, that I'm looking, constantly looking for answers to. And it's easy to forget about these sort of questions. So I try to revisit these um, like once a, once a day or one, or multiple times per week, because oftentimes we learn something new in a day, but we forget to connect it to these like sort of pertinent problems. So by being reminded of these problems, it helps you draw new connections at different times. So mm. this is this is one of the ways in which um, I try to add more inspiration and value to my writing. Mm, interesting. Uh, I, the questions that you notice are are very big questions. If um, if, if if I can say so. I, I, do you have like a certain conclusion or certain answer to these questions, or every time you revisit, you have more new thoughts build on what you previously uh, have uh, existing? I'm I'm not sure if you can find a like for example a purpose or or a passion. Um, I feel like there's something that changes throughout your life, and it, there 
should should there be a definite answer to it even? Um, yeah. Well, actually, I think the purpose of most of these questions is that there is no right, there is no right answer, which means that like you won't mm-hmm. just find the answer and then you're fine. Um, and that's perfectly fine. And actually, that's what I think these sort of questions are most valuable for. And, and, and that's why it's so valuable to revisit them, because like as the context of your life changes and as you learn things, you you figure out like new ways to maybe think about the question from. Um, and and the thing, it's not like, oh, I got the right answer to this. Like I can mm-hmm. move on from this question. Sometimes that's true. But other times it's like, hey, like I've done some thinking on this question. My thinking has evolved. But actually, I'm going to take this question away, not because I found an answer, but because uh, it's no longer as relevant or important as it was before. So it's not like trying to find the right answer and then dismiss it. Uh, like it, it'll constantly change. Like, for example, one of them that I have there is like, who do I want to beca- become and what do I want to create, achieve and give in this world? That's a huge, like massive <laughs> freaking question. Like right. there's obviously no right answer. But as I evolve, as I learn, as I grow, I think the answer of like who I want to become and what I want to create and achieve and give will evolve with me. So that's why it's important to revisit these questions. There's like there's they're kind of like most of them are quintessential questions that you should probably constantly reflect on as you change. Amazing. Uh, I think I want to look back. So uh, I listened to your advice. I actually went on a silent retreat. <laughs> oh, um, cool. How did that go? Yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you the story. And I, if you're okay, I want to share something that I learned uh, through my experience. Um, uh, so I think me going in, I, I brought my question in, right? Um, things I want to obviously learn more about myself. Uh, at that time, it was a period of time where I just came back from San Francisco from meeting all of you guys and meeting a lot of amazing people. And uh, I'm not currently building a startup, but that's sort of the passion or the purpose that I that I have for myself previously and I wanted to go to startup. However, there's so many opportunities, you know, like the AI is coming up and I'm really passionate about education. I want to do a passion about health and wellness and all these type of things. But um so the contemplation lead to inaction for, for, for a bit of a while. So when I came back, there was around two weeks where I don't know what to do. <laughs> there's too much to do. So there's nothing. I don't know what to do. Um, so going in, I was hoping that I can find some answers to myself. Um, and I put the focus on passion and purpose. You know, what, what is my passion? What is my purpose? And what I realized is that... Um, Sometimes I really want to find out the exact thing. For example, my, my, my passion is, uh, is health and wellness. My purpose is to build this specific product. Uh, but what I realized during the trip is that I'm thinking too narrow because humans were really dynamic. We can change. And there's so many different parts about us that make us who we are. And just like I talked about, I'm passionate about all these things, education, AI, um, and health and wellness. And I should come into and to term that I am this person and my passion could just be like what I had previously before, which is be an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, I want to build a cool product. I want to be useful to the world. Um, so what ended up happening is I didn't really um, find a specific thing, but I came to term of the bigger thing, which is, you know, I, I want to keep building. I want to be an entrepreneur and be useful to the world one day. Um, so I think that was a very important to come to realization that it's okay to 
um, to have a, a very broad or generous a general purpose. I think that the, the, per, uh, the, the reason that you should have a passion and purpose is to give yourself a reason to exist, right? Yes. Um, to make sure that you have something that you're working towards, something that get you out of bed every day. And it could be anything you want and it should not be judged by others. It should only be a purpose, be a thing that's serving you. If your purpose or passion is stop you, stopping you from going towards where you're going, then it's not great. You know, it should only be helping you to get up every day and do what you want to do. I think it, is, it could be very simple. I was quite complicated too much before, but now I think, you know, I, I'm much more at peace um, for myself. Um, That's good. And <laughs> what did you, like, did you figure, I, I guess so the purpose then, it was just realizing who you wanted to be? Can you repeat that? How would you describe the the purpose then? Or or I guess like it, it sounded like you just discovered like how you wanted to manifest yourself or who you wanted to be. And that form of living, of being in alignment to who you wanted to be seemed to be the connection to to the purpose or what what really in, uh, inspired your passion. Or how would you yeah, describe so, it? Yeah. Um, so, so before when people ask me, what do you want to do or what is your pa passion and purpose? And um, I tell them, you know, I, I just want to be a startup founder. I want to build something meaningful. Um, however, it doesn't seem like a good question to others. And sometimes I question myself whether that can be an answer because you could be any, you can build anything. You could be, you know, there's so many industries in the world that there could be a standard startup founder. But, um, but now I think it's okay question to answer like that. I, I just want to be a startup founder. I, I'm going to build something. Maybe not now, but in the future, that could be useful for others. And I think that's okay, right? Yeah, 100%. That's good. Yeah, and the thing is, like, um, something like discovering a passion, per se, like, some yeah. people get so obsessed with it that it creates so much friction and stress, which is, like, the opposite of what um, the pursuit of finding your passion or purpose should be. But, yeah, most of the time, it's already within you. Um, and and it, there's there's also, like no rush i think in like finding the right answer especially because there is no right answer like i i had a very profound experience where like i was i was pretty young and like i felt like i understood everything and had a clear idea on who i wanted to be and what i wanted to achieve and so then one of my dad's friends uh asked me like what do you like what's your purpose or what do you want to be or whatever i'm like i want to do this i don't remember what i said but he's like how do you know that that's your purpose? And I was like, oh, shit. Well, I guess there's no actual way to know, right? There's no right answers here, right? It's not like, yep, I got it. This is the right answer. <laughs> I, 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 I fucking found it finally. No, I mean, like, it, there's no right. The thing is, like, translating emotion internally and putting it into words, things get lost in translation. So it can feel right. And maybe it is right to some extent. But I feel I, I like to believe that we can never really know what like what we want to become or who what we want to live for or whatnot. You you can have you can like get clarity and feel comfortable about it and that's amazing. But I like to create space for not feeling a hundred percent confident in it just because it opens up space to further question it and continue to explore. It's an endless exploration, the pursuit of your purpose and passion. So uh, there's no rush and there's no need to stress out about it. Yeah. And I also ask myself why. So 
I think everything goes five layers deep. But so I ask myself, why do I want to be an entrepreneur? Why do I want to make product or services that serve others? And I looked at it at a very selfish lens. Um, so just to be critical, I, I you, you can't like, I don't want to be too altruistic. You know, I want to, I don't want to say I want to build a better world or help others. Um, I, I, I actually write it down to help me look at it in a selfish way, which is, um, you know, first of all, I need to have things that can uh, may meet my basic need. Right? I have a home, I have things that I, I can use. But second, how do I obtain happiness? Um, which is, um, if I help others and I will get the happiness in, in, in reciprocal. So that happiness is actually a lot you know, more profound than me obtaining other material things. So because I want that happiness by helping others, so I want to build product or services that can have a bigger impact that can allow more people to use it. So me personally can get those happiness. Um, so I think this is a great explanation for myself um, to be selfishly altruistic. <laughs> um, <laughs> to I, like because I feel like these things are practiced to came term came to term with yourself to give yourself give myself an excuse to. Um, to do what I do, like I don't have to contemplate constantly on, on why I'm doing these things, right? So um, I feel like it could be a great explanation for me and maybe this is exactly what I think. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, altruism is a funny thing because it's defined by selflessness, but being selfless uh, makes you feel so good that it almost feels selfish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think everyone is selfish to a degree. There's um, whatever you do, there's al always some aspect um, that you can benefit either by the joy of doing it or, you know, some shape or form, which I think is completely okay. Um, you know, we live here to to pursuit of happiness. Any way or shape or form, you get it, it's fine. Um, I think it's completely yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very important that they call it the pursuit of happiness because it's a pursuit. It's not a destination. It's not an achievement. It's something that happens on the journey. And I think that that's why like a, a, when I think a lot about my purpose and and potential, a lot of it is like, who do I want to become, create, achieve or give? Because all of these things are pursuits uh, for the most part, even achieving something. It seems like a fine, uh, like an end goal. But um, it's what it makes you in the process of achieving that thing, which is like what you have to create or who you have to become in order to achieve a certain thing. And then if you achieve something, you have more to give. So it all connects, but it's mostly based on journeys and pursuits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, one more thing I, I find pretty interesting uh, is I actually just went for a day. Um, I didn't stay for too long. Uh, I just went for the weekend. Um, and for that day, I, I fasted. Uh, no electronic, no <laughs> nothing. Uh, I don't know what time it is. Just a pen and and uh, a paper for me to write. And the first half, I was really happy uh, for some reason because <laughs> I was zero distraction, no phone, unaware of the time. Don't care about what's happening. It's just me and my own. And I find the peace and tranquility is so profound that I was, you know, so happy that. I was shameful for people who were, who were having the phones. I was like, uh, you don't understand the joy of the peacefulness mm -hmm. and tranquility. However, you change in the second half, um, I find the boredom start to creep up. Right? I start to, you know, 
looking around, finding things that to keep my mind entertained. Um, it, it, it's a pretty interesting change. Um, so yeah. I'm not sure if you experienced that as well. I did. I did. Yeah, it's funny that you observed that. I noticed that the mind naturally wants to get distracted. And I feel like that's more true for us in this technologically high stimulation world compared to before. But I think naturally the mind is just looking for distractions. Why? Because it's bored and it, it or, or it's either bored and there's nothing happening. So it's like wants to look for something else or you're doing something like hard, like you're thinking, you're writing or maybe you're reading. And it's like a high cognitive task that like the path of least resistance is not to keep asking you the deep, hard, why questions. The path of least resistance is to go look at like some some stupid thing across the room <laughs> or, you know, in our digital world to just look at your phone. Right. You're trying to solve a problem coding or trying to think of how to like do something. And it's so much friction. You don't know what to do. And instead of trying to think through it, you're like, fuck this. I'm going to look at my phone instead. But if you're in a silent retreat, you can't do that. You can't look at your phone. So you have to look at like the stupid object across uh, from you. So pretty interesting. But yeah. the interesting difference in a silent retreat is that if you do get distracted, you look at like something, I don't know, you start reading the labels of like the shampoo or something. Uh, it's it's at least way less stimulating than looking at your phone. Like you looking at your phone is super easy and it's highly stimulating. Getting distracted by some silly thing like a chair or something is sure it's a little distracting, but it's very low stimulation, which means like, yeah, you can get distracted from what you were thinking about, but you could maybe keep on thinking of what you were thinking about or you can come back to it more easily because the stimulation of the distraction was not that high. So that's an interesting difference I noted as well. I think it's actually a great practice to um do this and and everyone should practice because i think it's pretty similar to active meditation i think the whole point of meditation is to help you to be uh more focused to bring back uh your distracted mind to focus on your breathing and it's exactly the same as silent retreats there you, you try to constantly bring back your distracted mind on what you want to focus which is writing down and, and uh the high cognitive task that you mentioned um yeah, so, so I, I even really recommend people who don't have any existential crisis or, or things that they want to answer to go try it out. It, it, it's very, very hard, I would say. I don't know how you did it for five days, man. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like, uh, I was there in the first one or two days are like, I don't know, like hard to adjust. But by the fifth day, I'm like, holy shit, I need a whole other week. I got so much shit to figure out. <laughs> so... I ended up enjoying it a lot just because I think I achieved such a deep level of thinking that I almost be not became addicted, but I wanted more of it. Like I felt like, like I opened up a whole new portal or dungeon of thought and discovery that I was like, there's so much more to like learn here. Um, so yeah, I don't know, but yeah, maybe I'm just weird in enjoying it so much. Do you do you practice it on a day to day? Do you you know put your phone away, cut off all the electronics when you're working? Uh, do you have some of the practice in your daily life? I try to be as mindful of my phone as possible, and there's practices that I use to uh, 
manage the addiction of my phone, such as like, for example, using an app called OneSec that if I open like Instagram or TikTok, I have to like breathe. Basically, it's like a 10 second buffer to be able to use the app. And that's I find super effective in breaking you out of the subconscious action of just picking up your phone. But uh, but honestly, I don't practice it as much as I feel like I should. I'm still like fairly addicted to my phone and I don't practice like not being with my phone uh, periodically, which I feel like I should. I should. I definitely should. And I don't. Mm. You said you went to a second silent retreat, did you or did you? I did. Yes, yes. Yeah, I did a second one. I think it was like three or four days little less intense and I did not fast for three days but um in that one but uh but it was still really great too yeah and that one was was more of a different vibe I I I had my computer for that one but with no internet just so I could like type and like look at like past notes I had written digitally so it was a little a little less hardcore but it was still very very productive and very interesting did you always had a purpose before going in do you have like a list of things you want to accomplish I did. Yeah, I had like things I wanted to like figure out. But, you know, it's like most experiences and trips, um, including psychedelic trips, I often come out of it with more questions than what I started with, uh, which is pretty <laughs> funny. You're like, what? like I, I feel like this happens to me so often, like what the I was supposed to figure out all these things. And I came out of it with even more questions and answers. Like, goddamn, <laughs> I'm trying to, like, understand stuff here. But what I then realized is, like, wait, that's that's actually really good because now I have better clarity on what I don't understand. And that is one of the most profound forms of understanding. That's awareness, right? And now these are questions you can sort of meditate on, whereas before you didn't even know to to question that thing or to think about that thing. Mm. Do you want to do a, another one soon? I heard you 100% planning. Yes. I want to do one soon. The startup life is just very demanding and very intense. So it's it's hard to find uh, even a, a few days to of breathing room. But I definitely want to. It's been uh, like three or four years now since I did the second one. So mm. got to come soon. But also startup life is hard. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a practice, a great practice of very concentrated self-reflection and uh, self-awareness. Um, I, I think that is even more important than, per se, learning about the world because learning by yourself can open up so much um, opportunities for, for you to explore the world better. Um, yes. So how do you approach yeah. uh, learning more about yourself? Do you think that is really important? Uh, yeah, how, how do you approach self-awareness? Yeah, well, an interesting thing uh, related to that that I also wanted to mention is I think one of the most valuable things that each one of us has is our perspective, right? Like our beliefs, our values, what we think about certain things, how we approach things. And so then if that's true, then it's a question of how do you craft a better perspective, a more unique perspective? How do you craft these nuances, nuanced takes on the same questions maybe most people are thinking about or the questions that most people aren't thinking about, like to have good clarity there. And I think part of the answer there is to have experiences that most other people have not had. 
So for example, silent retreat, how many people have done a silent retreat? Uh, how many, when was the last time you went a whole day without using your phone? Uh, for the grand majority of people, it probably since they existed. <laughs> so uh, it's pretty interesting, pretty interesting. But yeah, I think learning about yourself is very important. Uh, uh, the thing is like we live with ourselves every day. And if you discover something about yourself that improves yourself in one way, the the compounded benefit of that is completely exponential. So mm. yeah, I, I think it's huge. I think most of us are so distracted by all the external noise that we never take the time to reconnect with the deeper parts of ourselves. Uh, and silence is one of the things that can help us really listen to and figure out what's going on inside. Writing is another one. Uh, and obviously, if you pair the two, silence with writing, it's pretty powerful. But yeah, yeah, I mean, we're the most first important person to understand in the world. So um, think, journal, be in silence and reflect on your journal. Your book, your journal is the most important book to read. Interesting. Do you read your journal on a daily basis or is there a practice or how you read it? I, I I try to read it at least like once a week, but I, yeah, yeah. Not every day, but one or a few times a week. And it's, it's interesting to see how the, how the thinking evolves. Um, or yeah, like what I do that I was sharing earlier is, uh, making a list of like my most important questions or problems, my 12 favorite problems, and then reflecting on them. That's a way of like, I guess, not just reading, uh, but engaging with my past thoughts, uh, especially the ones that I've marked as high value and important. How, how long have you been journaling? For around four to six years. Uh, actually, like six years, I think ever since my first Tony Robbins seminar. But uh, to be honest, it comes and goes. Um, the problem with everything in personal growth, journaling, meditating, getting in the ice bath, reading, all of these things are important, but not urgent. So it's very easy to deprioritize them, especially if some crazy shit happens in life. You move or like you change companies, you break your habit and it's easy to like not continue with it because again, it's important, but not urgent. So journaling is the same. It's come in waves for me. And now I'm like at a, at a, at a phase where I'm like picking it back up again and trying to like truly embrace it. But it's, it's hard to stay consistent when there's no urgency around it. Have you have you looked at your journal six years ago? <laughs> Had a chance to look at what you were reading, writing before? A few times, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I think the first thing I started journaling on six years ago was my productivity. I would do like productivity mm. journals of like what was my energy today from zero to ten. What was my productivity zero to ten, and then kind of like reflecting on that. I think those were some of the first things that I reflected on or tried to like track and improve. I kind of became like a productivity junkie in the very early days of just trying to be very diligent and efficient. Are you still a productivity junkie? Do you find the most quirkiest tool to improve your efficiency and stuff like that? Not as strongly anymore. Um, I, I used to be, for example, like very notion obsessed, like very like <laughs> the most intricate systems with notion and whatnot. But the problem with like complex systems and being like very like hardcore in like your tracking and things like that is that it requires a lot of maintenance. And after some time, at least for me, like the value 
of maintaining that like kind of dwindles below the cost of maintaining the consistency especially if you get lazy for a few days then it's like you lost the consistency and now the system isn't being maintained so it's not delivering value so the whole thing just comes crashing i think that's the downside of a complex system uh so yeah i think not as much anymore but i think a lot of what makes me productive is is different things from like all the like hyper crazy tools that I use to try to be efficient. Mm. Yeah. I want to loop back to what you were mentioning before, which is um, uh, fasting. And you were talking about how important it is to take care of our body. And uh, this is maybe a stereotype, but I don't see a lot of founders being mindful of their health or body. They work until 4 a.m., sleep very minimally, eat garbage. Uh, but this is sort of, you know, their way of optimizing their work and focusing on what's what they're working on. Is, th is that the approach that you go against or what, what is your uh, approach to health and and work? Yeah, uh, no, I mean, I think one of the easiest ways to crash and burn as a founder is to over optimize for the short term. And <laughs> often that's that's done by I, I mean, you have to understand that. Being a founder, it it sounds like it's a race, but it's not a race. As they say, it's a marathon um, because you never know as a founder how long it's going to take until your thing pops off. And mo almost everyone thinks that it's going to pop off right away or like very soon. And you think like, this is it. This is the idea. I build this and then I'm just going to grind my fucking butt off. And then I'm going to release this and everyone's going to use it and I'm going to be a trillionaire. Uh, but no, in reality, very few cases are like that. Most of the time you launch it, nothing happens. You keep improving it, nothing happens and you don't know what's going on. Uh, people aren't using your shit. And basically, like you try to keep pushing harder and harder um, and you expect the results and the glory and the beauty of everything to be right around the corner. But it's not because it's hard and building something people want is really freaking hard. And if you have the expectation that it's going to be quick and that you're going to have it soon, then you're going to over optimize for the short term. You're going to work more than you're maybe like capable of and you might burn out and you might fail. So it ends up being like a, a common case. So I know or at least acknowledge or believe that uh, the startup game is a long-term game. You, The name of the game is perseverance. It's surviving long enough to be able to thrive. And a lot of being able to do that is your health, your energy, doing things in a sustainable fashion. So I work very, very hard. I still work like 12 to 14 hour days, but I, do, I make sure to never sleep less than seven hours. I get in an ice bath almost every morning I run and play soccer consistently. I'm trying to build the consistency of going to the gym. And I try to find time for like uh, social, being social, going out and, and having fun, right? Um, I, I, I go as hard as I possibly can in the short term while still maintaining that level of being sustainable at a good energy level. Um, and that's so important because founder life is so freaking hard. It's one of the hardest things you can do. And if your energy is pretty poor, if you're feeling like burnt out, everything feels like pushing a boulder up a mountain. But if you feel amazing energy and things still aren't working, it's still really hard, 
you see all the challenges and hardships as an opportunity. Like, holy shit, look at all these awesome challenges I get to tackle. It's the same amount of challenges, but you have a different perspective because you have a different level of energy. That's the difference that having good health and a good perspective and mindset makes in the founder journey. Nice. Have you, have you ever, per se, burnt out before? It seems like you have a quite deep, you know, understanding or conviction on, on staying healthy and being sustainable. Uh, yeah. 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 Fortunately, I, I, I have never burnt out. Um, I think I am very lucky in that I discovered the world of personal growth and health early on, like when I was 19 and uh, went to a ton of Tony Robbins seminars. And I think like everything I learned about personal growth, about mindsets, about health and longevity and all these things just contributed tremendously to making sure I was doing things in a sustainable fashion. So there's been times definitely where I've felt like a little tired and like worked like a ton and it's like a little overwhelming at times, but I know how to like shift my mindset or shift like my habits and actions to make sure I get myself in a good place again. But, uh, but yeah, that's not the common thing though. I'm very fortunate. A lot of founders, unfortunately run so hard that they end up hitting a brick wall and don't pay enough attention to how important it is to do things in a sustainable fashion. I, I a hundred percent agree. And, uh, you mentioned about, you do ice bath every day. Um, how, how did you feel about doing ice bath? What, what's the benefit that, uh, you get from it? Yeah. The benefit is you become an freaking titan because there's nothing that gives you more energy than jumping into a tub of freezing cold water and it's so powerful in the sense that from the obvious energy and jolt of like holy shit energy you get from like doing that it's also a very interesting mental benefit in the sense that you're telling yourself like there's no freaking way i want to do this i do not want to get in like no i just i just I just want to go to like get to work or take a warm shower or do whatever, anything but getting in the ice bath. But there's something so powerful about uh, your mind telling you not to do something and you telling it, sorry, buddy, but we're going to fucking do it anyway. Uh, it basically you're training yourself to not negotiate with your mind. You're telling your mind, fuck you, man, I'm in control, right? You're you're basically exercising the level of awareness that you're the thinker, not the thoughts, right? Because the mind will come up with like crazy thoughts and stories and narratives and limiting beliefs to get you to not do things. But you got to operate at one uh, level of awareness higher than that and be like, yo, I don't give a fuck about the bullshit you're trying to produce in my mind right now. I'm going to get in anyways. <laughs> and so that is like a very powerful thing psychologically. Um, and you're basically training yourself to become comfortable with discomfort. And I feel like that's one of the most valuable skills that you can develop. Mm, do you do that in the morning? In the morning, yes. Because if I don't do it in the morning, um, I'm like in the flow of work. I'm doing things. And especially when I'm coding, like I don't want anything to get in the way of my coding. So yeah, I do it in the morning and just jumpstart the, the day that way. How, how do you structure your day? Because I, I imagine... Uh, you're coding quite a bit and, and you also uh, need to be a lot of the time client facing, talk to investors. Um, uh, uh, Paul Graham said there is a maker time and uh, there's also a, a manager time. So how, how do you segregate that? You don't want to, do you save yourself a big chunk of time? You have days that's just to, for meetings or 
how do you organize your days? Yeah. So yeah, I try to be very mindful of only doing one or the other, like being in full build mode or being in like fundraising mode. Uh, I've tried like mixing the two and it's, it's not fun. It's a lot of context switching and, uh, yeah, it going from like logic coding to try to like selling the vision of your company is not an easy switch to make, uh, from a day to day. So personally, just like try to segment the two and be very intentional. Like we're either building or we're fundraising. Um, and right now we're like more so building. So I'm still having a few conversations, but not as many. Uh, the second thing is like. Uh, making sure I have blocks of flow, uh, focus period. So that's usually the mornings for me. So whenever I send out Calendly's, um, I have pretty much almost every day, like blocked off in the morning. Like no one can schedule time for me in the morning. I think it's up for like one or two days. I forget, but yeah, that's kind of how I approach it and think about it. Is there things that help you to get into the flow? Cause, um, I, I could imagine, um, there, there's a state called float states where you're just completely focused on what you're doing. Forget about every other things around you. And it's really rare to get into that on a daily basis, especially for a longer period of time. Do you do anything to help you to get into that state? Yeah, there's two things. One, it's like what's pulling you towards the focus and two, what's pushing you away from the focus. So what's pulling me towards the focus? Uh, this would be like, clarity on the task at hand. So making sure like maybe the day before or something like I have like a task of priorities and things on Asana or wherever I'm managing my task to to have clarity. So whenever I come the next day, I either open it and see it or I already know what I'm working on. So having clarity on what to do is one of the most important things because uh, that's going to be the pool that like takes you in a certain direction. Uh, the other thing is to make sure you, your attention does not get pushed away from what you're doing. So this is basically minimizing distractions. So that would be like putting my phone like in my backpack or out of sight or far away from me, uh, making sure that I have one sec on to make sure that if I open a distracting app, I have to breathe for 10 seconds before I can use it. And... And yeah, I, I guess I could speak more, but those are the two general ideas. Like if you want to optimize for flow, you need to have something very strongly pulling you towards the focus and make sure you have a lot of uh, things not interrupting your focus. So managing your distractions. Mm. How, how long is usually your block up time that you're just really, really focused? One and a half hour, four hours? Yeah, it can vary. I usually don't time it, but I just sit down and code like a fucking maniac. Um, <laughs> however long, however long that works for. But yeah, usually it's like an hour and a half to four hours sometimes. Amazing. Um, yeah, let, let's talk about your um, startup or education more. Um, your, um, I, I guess last time I asked you, your purpose was to help everyone to discover their infinite self. Um, is that correct? Yes, to empower myself and others to discover and manifest their infinite potential, right? It's this sort of obsession and realization that every single one of us has so much more potential within ourselves that we don't even realize is there. Like there's way more inside of you that you, you don't you haven't even unlocked yet. Even for myself, I don't know. I don't know shit about what's cooking up in, inside of me. So a lot of my obsession is how do you help not only myself, but others discover what it is they have within themselves. One, discovery, and two, manifest it, right? One thing is being aware of it. The other thing is actually doing what you need to do to 
make that potential come to life, right? So what do you, who do you want to become? What do you want to create? What do you want to achieve? What do you want to give? That's all of uh, how the ways I think about uh, everyone's potential. And a lot of uh, what drives me every day is figuring out what are the keys to unlock that treasure of our buried potential that each one of us has within ourselves. Mm, Are you building with Stolia towards that direction? I think so, yeah. Like the way I would think about it is uh, right now we're very focused on learning and how do we create better learners? How can we transform any learner, any student into a super learner that is able to retain and understand anything at least 10 times better and faster? But uh, the thing I see broader here is uh, the three core pillars of learning, thinking, and doing, right? Learning is just consuming information, being very effective at consuming that information. Thinking is like reflecting on the things you've consumed and also things outside of your consumption, your life experiences. How do you process everything that's going on around you and that you're thinking about and thoughtfully integrate uh, either in your mind or through action what you should do to be better? And then finally, it's taking action, right? You can learn all you want, but knowledge is not power. It's potential power. What makes it truly powerful is to act on it. But there's this huge problem around having the best intentions to do something um, and not actually doing them. This is called the intention action gap. Uh, And it's a very, very interesting thing to try to solve. So yeah, I basically see our vision as touching on those three core pillars of learning, thinking, and doing. Mm, It's... It's, it's it's very hard to enforce the action parts um, through a product or a service. Um, how do you imagine that to be done? Like um, you can help them to learn better, but how do you help them to take the actual action? I guess there's productivity apps, but, but, but you still need to be required to take the action yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, if I had the answer, someone would build this and like it'd work really well and you know, <laughs> you'd make you'd make a billion dollars. So I'll I'll throw some ideas, but obviously like who knows what the right answer is. This is still an unsolved problem. But um yeah, I think you have to take a lot of principles from behavioral science. Like why do people do the things that they do? What inspires them into action? A lot of it is, uh, I think, the social component of accountability, right? Like either having a friend or a coach or someone that like can motivate you. Um, I think it's like being reminded of things. I think it's like, uh, for example, if you learn something from Atomic Habits, uh, how do you apply it? There's this like big, big gap that exists from reading the thing, identifying what the core idea is, um, reflecting back on that thing, either right there when you're learning or reading it or later after you're done learning, because you don't want to sometimes you don't want to interrupt the reading. Right. So you have to interrupt the reading or at least be able to have a way to like come back to that insight later. And then once you have that idea, how do you think about it and integrate it into your own lives? Um, right. Like, how does this apply? And then once you figure out how it applies, you have to go and do that thing and stay accountable to it and be consistent about it. So it's a whole loop. And I think uh, there's a lot of behavioral science principles here that need to be applied in order to solve this problem. Are you um, trying to learn more about behavior science? Do you think that's helpful for building your product? Not at the moment, because we're focused on learning. Uh, there is, of course, like the behavior of studying for students, for example. Um, but that's not like, that's it, it, the thing is like changing someone's behavior is one of the hardest things to do. So generally, if you're building a product, you should not be like, 
we're going to change people's behavior as the very first thing we do. Uh, yeah, probably not a good idea. You should go where people are already doing something like a, right. a, a behavior that's consistent and familiar and then just improve it in some ways, like save time, make it easier, make it cheaper, whatever. Um, then when to build a solid product, have a lot of resources and can take bigger swings at bat. Cool. Try to change people that uh, need to be changed. It's a way harder thing to do. But it can be done and that can help you get like a bigger, better market. Mm. I think one of the ways that people change their behavior is to that they, they realize something about themselves. Uh, and I think they go back to our, our point of self-awareness. I always wonder why don't school teach more about these? Like they never teach about how to learn more about yourself. Uh, but rather they, they teach you all the things about the world. And, and one of the arguments uh, that Stoicism proposes that all the other philosophers um, ponder on how the world is being made. You know, where the star, where do we come from? But none of them actually talk about how to enjoy life. That's why Stoic focus on uh, the self rather than the surrounding, which I find uh, very interesting. So have you thought about, you know, wh why don't school teach self-awareness or, or things around this topic? Well, I've thought about it a ton um, <laughs> because it's very, it's very annoying that they don't. I mean, school tells you what to learn. Right. But they never taught us how to think or how to learn effectively. Right. Um, and even in telling us what to learn, all, almost all the things they tell us what that, that we should learn are hard skills when really it's turning out that the soft skills are what's most important. Right. Um, I had. Yeah. Like when I went to my first Tony Robbins seminar and I learned all these things about life, like around purpose, contribution, growth. Uh, limiting beliefs, how to break them, values. I was like, what the hell? Like, I should have learned this in school. Why did I not learn this in school? This is crazy. Uh, like, this is literally how to live 101. And we, we were never taught how to live a meaningful or effective life. We were just told what to do and as if we were machines. So yeah, it's very broken. That's why I'm trying to disrupt education and learning overall because it is broken as hell, my man. Yeah, I 100% I agree. Is there any books that you're currently reading that you really recommend others to read too? Yeah, right now I'm taking like a deeper dive into what's called active learning, right? There's basically at a high level two types of learning. There's passive learning and active learning. Passive learning is just, you know, mindlessly like consuming something, like reading something, watching something. Active learning is engaging with it in a critical way. Right, whether it's flashcards that promote you to think critically or teaching someone to something or creating a mind map, these are all like active learning methods. And it's a really fun, interesting area um, that's called learning science, basically, at a higher level of like, what is the science of how we learn? What happens when we're learning? How do we learn most effectively? And almost no one knows this. We learn every single day, but almost no one learns knows how to learn effectively. So it's very, very, very interesting to take a deep dive here. And the book I'm reading, I forgot what it's called, but it's, I think it's called Active Learning, something like that. But yeah, it's a pretty, we'll, we'll put in the pretty interesting topic. Yeah. yeah, if you want to learn more about um, the science of how to learn, I recommend checking out uh, two YouTubers, Benjamin Keep, which is actually one of our advisors. He has a PhD in learning sciences from Stanford. And then Justin Sung, who uh, was a med student and then kind of discovered all these learning strategies and science around how to learn more efficiently. So pretty interesting. Amazing. I think if, uh, if God were to strip away all your skills, 
the one skills that you want to have or remain is hot to learn. Because if you can have the skill of hot to learn, you're able to learn everything else. Uh, so I think that is the most important skill to have and, you know, to learn actively. Yeah. So uh, one one last thing I'll add there that I think is interesting yeah. is just thinking about what are future-proof skills, right? We mm. live in an exponential age. Things are changing so quickly. We don't even know what the jobs of tomorrow are going to be. And today's jobs are likely for the most part going to be displaced. So then it's kind of a question like, what are these future-proof skills? And I think one of the most important future-proof skills is your ability to learn very quickly because no matter how the world changes, it doesn't matter. You're going to have to learn to adapt quickly. So that's how I think about it. Um, where can people find me? I'm on Twitter at InfiniteJulian0. Uh, you can email me at infinite at julian.ai. You can also learn more about me at julian.ai. And yeah, you can look up Julian Alvarez on LinkedIn as well and find and connect with me there. Amazing. Uh, thanks, Julian, for this informative conversation and uh, learning taught about learning and uh, your journey on discovering yourself and the world. But yeah, great to have you oh, on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Great questions. Enjoyed being on. Take care, All everyone. Right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ideas Can't Wait podcast. If you have taken something away from this episode and really enjoyed our conversation, it will mean the world to me if you can leave a review on wherever you're listening or watching. It will help this podcast to reach more like-minded people like you. Thanks again, and I'll see you in the next one.